Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Today we're going to wrap up a series we started a few weeks ago called As the Father. The first week of this series, we looked at John chapter 20 when Jesus spoke to his disciples and he says, As the Father sent me, I am sending you. So we looked at how did the Father send Jesus? Well, what Jesus did in this moment is he said, As the Father is sending me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them immediately and they received the Holy Spirit. And we looked at how Jesus himself was sent in the power of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. So when he sends out his disciples, he does so in the exact same way. He says, I'm sending you. Uh, And the way he said it was there's a propelling force behind you, and then he breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 6 when Jesus said, Be merciful and compassionate as your Father in heaven is merciful and compassionate. And this morning, we're going to look at what I think is perhaps the most important distinction that you can make in all of the Bible. And I'll get to what I mean by that shortly, but first we're going to read from John chapter 10 beginning with one of my favorite verses of scripture. Uh, It says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. On to verse 14, he says it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. This morning I want to talk about knowledge. Specifically, I want to talk about the knowledge of God. Now to lay a foundation for the rest of the morning, we're going to look at two types of knowledge that are referenced in the Bible. And this is more than just an interesting side note. This is Again, one of the most crucial distinctions that you can make in all of the Bible. So just like last week, I'm going to put the words up on the screen in the original language, and you don't have to memorize those words, but again, the distinction is important. They both translate into the English word know, K-N-O-W. So the first word, well, I think I have them both here. Uh, Epignosis is the first one. Gnosko is the second. Uh, Epignosis means this. Epignosis means precise and correct intellectual knowledge. Uh, We may call it head knowledge. So epignosis is intellectual knowledge. The second word that the Bible uses is gnosko. It means relational, intimate, and experiential knowledge. Uh, We might call it heart knowledge. So this second word, gnosko, uh, is actually a Jewish expression for intimacy between a husband and wife. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, it says that Joseph didn't uh, consummate his marriage with Mary until after Jesus was born. The word for consummation there is gnosko. He didn't know her intimately until after the birth of Jesus. Now, the best example I can give you of this uh, is simply to share with you my vast knowledge of childbirth. Uh, Thanks to Google, I can tell you that the average baby is born at seven and a half pounds. But the largest baby was born in 1955 in Italy, uh, a woman named Carmelina Fidelli. She gave birth to a baby, a natural birth to a baby that was 22 pounds, 8 ounces. Tragically, she never walked again. 
I didn't read that. I'm just assuming that based on the size of the baby. Uh, I can also tell you that the typical labor, t labor time uh, for a woman uh, is between 6 and 12 hours. But the longest labor time look, uh, took place in 2012. Uh, it was a Polish woman named Joanna uh, Kirstenek. Uh, she went into labor prematurely with twins at about five months. And when she got to the hospital, uh, they said, we're going to hold off on this as long as we can, so put your, your legs elevated, and then we're going to actually kind of tilt you so that you're a little bit upside down so that gravity is working against the birth of, of the twins. Uh, Seventy-five days later, she had the twins, healthy twins. Uh, she was technically in labor for 75 days in that position. She had to learn basically to walk again because she had lost her balance from laying like that, like that for 75 days. Uh, the last thing, there are lots of different theories to how to jumpstart your uh, labor. Uh, with our three kids, uh, Emily was late on all three of them. And if you've ever had a kid, you know that once you get to, I don't know, 36 weeks, you're just screaming, come out of me already. Um, the ways to jumpstart labor, some people say eat spicy food. Some people say drink castor oil. Wouldn't do that. But statistics show that the actual number one way to jumpstart labor is to get into your car and drive through the Cranberry Mall parking lot. <laughs> and all you do is you embrace the potholes, and it just jars the baby loose, and then you have a baby. So as you can see through the wonders of Google, I have vast knowledge of childbirth, but Emily has different knowledge of childbirth. If you asked her what her knowledge of childbirth is, uh, she would give you none of those statistics uh, because she had three children. Uh, the most recent one won't go to children's church today. Uh, Haley uh, was born uh, without an epidural and without medication. So uh, I should specify, Haley was born a 12-pound baby without medication or an epidural. So if you ask Emily uh, what is her knowledge of childbirth, it's a lot different than my knowledge. My knowledge is also correct but I have limited intellectual knowledge of childbirth. Emily has uh, intellectual and experiential and intimate knowledge of childbirth. It's a completely different knowledge. Now, I'm going to show you biblically why these two differences matter so much. In 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter names off a number of qualities, faith, goodness, knowledge, uh, self-control, godliness, and love. And then he writes this in verse 8. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge, which is the intellectual knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, you can have knowledge of Jesus Christ, but if you have this intellectual uh, precise and correct knowledge that's just in your mind, it can be unproductive uh, and it can be ineffective. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, Jesus said something about the other type of knowledge, heart knowledge, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, Jesus said, I never knew you. And he uses the word, I never knew you. He uses uh, the word for relational knowledge there, an intimate knowledge. And he says, away from me, you evildoers. So the greatest words 
that you can ever hope to hear on either side of eternity are well done, good and faithful service, uh, servants. Can I tell you the most dreadful words that you can possibly hear are, I never knew you. If Jesus says to you, I never relationally knew you and I never intimately knew you, then that's a problem. So if you're here today and you say, well, I know him intellectually, but not really intimately, is that really a big deal? Well, biblically, it is a huge deal because eternity hangs in the balance. If you only know him in your mind, you know facts, and maybe they're correct facts and they're precise facts, uh, that can be completely unproductive and ineffective. What Jesus is looking for is this knowledge that comes from the heart, from a relationship, from uh, an ex uh, experience with him, and from intimacy with him. So if we go back to John chapter 10, Jesus says, uh, I intimately and relationally know my sheep and they know me just as I intimately uh, and relationally the Father knows me and I know the Father. Now, I mentioned when we first started this series, kind of the key to understanding how we've been sent is to understand how Jesus was sent by the Father. And the key to understanding our call to mercy and compassion is understanding the mercy and compassion of the Father. So the key this morning to understanding what Jesus is trying to convey is to understand, first, how does he know the Father? If he says, my sheep know me and I know my sheep just as the Father knows me, then we need to first understand how did Jesus know the Father? Now, to find this, we can really just look at the Gospel of John, John alone. The Gospel of John talks about the Father uh, over a hundred times, and it kind of begins in verse 18 of John 1, where Jesus or John is writing, he says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Uh, Jesus says this kind of, or John says this to kick off uh, the topic of the Father and the Son. He says, Jesus, first of all, you should know, was in closest relationship with the Father. Uh, actually, it says that he was in the bosom of the Father. Uh, I mean, they, they were one. If you continue to, to see what this looks like throughout the book of John, uh, in chapter 5, Jesus said that he only did what he saw the Father doing. In chapter 12, he said he only said what he saw the father or heard the father say. In chapter 14, he said the father uh, was the one who was working through him as he worked miracles and signs and wonders. In chapter 15, he said that he never left the father's love and he always uh, obeyed the father's commands. In chapter 15, again, he said he made known everything that he learned from the father. In chapter 16, he recognized the father's presence with him in every situation of life, even the hard ones. Now, John chapter 10, verse 30, just kind of brings all of this together for us when Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. That's simple. I and the Father are one. Now, uh, I believe this is a reference to the degree of unity they had more so than Jesus' divinity uh, in the Trinity. And, and the reason I say that is because in chapter 17, he also said, uh, I pray that my followers will be one just as we are one. He's praying that we will have the exact same unity and harmony that he and the Father had. So when we look at the relationship that Jesus had with the Father when he walked on earth, the first thing that I see is that the Father is, in, is involved in every aspect of Jesus' life. 
Jesus is looking for what the Father is doing. He's listening for what the Father is saying. Uh, it's not a, a, a weekly event where, where you just, once a week, let's see what the Father's doing. No, Jesus walked in that, Father, what are you doing in this moment? What are you saying in this moment? Can you work through me in this moment? Jesus was constantly tuned in to what the Father was doing. This is what it looked like to live in closest relationship with the Father. So in John chapter 10, he just looks at the disciples plainly, and he says, I know the Father, and the Father knows me. And he's not talking about simply in an intellectual level. He's saying uh, he knows me intimately in every part of me. And he knows me thoroughly. Uh, there was no hidden place. Uh, there was no place that Jesus held back or withheld from God. Uh, Jesus would often, uh, or, or in Matthew chapter 6, he, he talked about what he calls the secret place. Now the secret place is a place of prayer where there's no one but you and God. Uh, the problem is uh, many believers today have a secret place but it's not the place with just them and God. It's the place that they keep God out of. Uh, they, they, they believe that we, we, we can keep a place secret from God. I can keep my, my sin hidden from God. I can keep my finances hidden from God, secret from God. I don't let them into this place. But what we find in the relationship between the Father and Jesus is there are no hidden places. There are no secret places. Jesus walked with God in a relationship where they knew one another completely and thoroughly. And Jesus takes all of this about his relationship with the Father, and he says, that relationship I have with the Father, that way that I know the Father, that's how I know my followers. Did you realize, church, that he knows every part of you? He knows every hidden place, every secret place, every insecurity you have, every doubt you have, every victory you have, every challenge. He knows every single part of you. I was wondering, have you ever met someone, uh, and, and when you first meet them, you have a certain opinion of them, but as you get to know them, your opinion declines? Have you ever been concerned about that with yourself, that as people get to know you, they're not going to like you so much anymore. That's why I married Emily as quickly as I could before she could get to that, <laughs> that part. No. I was thinking about something that Paul said because the fact that Jesus knows every part of us, logically you would think that disqualifies us. If Jesus knows every part of me, then logically... He would want nothing to do with me. But then we encounter something in the Bible called grace. And grace means that it's really not about you so much. It's about your faith in Christ. Because the Bible says that once you place your faith in Christ, you put on his righteousness. Your sins, your past have been uh, separated as far as the east is from the west. And I was thinking about what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. 
In verse 13, he said, uh, you've heard of my previous way of life. He's talking about his past. My previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. On to verse four, uh, 15, he says, but God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. By his grace. You see, P Paul considered himself the chief of sinners. But he said, even though I have this filthy past, this horrible past, by grace, God has still called me. God still calls me and loves me and, and wants to use me. See, when, call said, when Paul says called by grace, I don't know about you, but I, I, I relate to that. Because I, I've done nothing to earn becoming a pastor or a leader in any way. But if I can recognize that despite my past, <laughs> whose kid is that? No. <laughs> God calls us not based on qualifications, not based on your qualification. God calls you based on grace alone. I was thinking this week about the, the woman at the well uh, when Jesus says, you know, you're on your fifth husband or you had five husbands and you're not even living with this one anymore. And it's so amazing because after Jesus tells her this, she runs into the city and she's excited and she says, come see the guy who knows everything about me. Now, if Jesus has just pointed out my every sin of my past, then I'm walking away in my mind with my head hanging low he knows everything. But obviously, something in this transaction took place where she recognized that Jesus knows everything about her, yet he loves her. That's the only way that she would run to town and say, he knows everything. Come and see him. Church, he knows everything. But by his grace, he calls you and he chooses you and he loves you. Jesus knows you, everything, intimately. And then he says this, and my sheep know me in that same way. So what he's just done is he's extended an invitation that says, uh, you can get past just intellectual knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, but you can be invited into a relationship, into an intimate relationship with the living God. He says, my sheep Know me in that way. You can live your life in closest relationship with Jesus Christ. Actually, uh, where he says that, that as the Father knows me, he uses a language there that actually says in proportion to. In proportion to the way I know the Father. My sheep know me. And then we get to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, Renee, if you could come. And I just love this prayer that Peter prays over, over the people in, the, in this letter. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace and and peace are yours in abundance. How? 
through an intimate knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. One of the things that we talked about when we first planted this church was that I, I think the church should be an exciting place. And I think the church should be full of excited people. And the reason for that is not because we finally have a drummer. The reason for that is because we believe the words of Scripture. That if God has taken my every sin and separated it like the east from the west, and then he said, but not only that, I give you the righteousness of the Son of God. That's an exciting thing. The Bible calls it good news. And I, I've walked into half the churches in my life that I've visited, and you would think the church is the deadest place on earth. Why is that? Do we not believe the words of the Bible? talked about being sent the way that Jesus was sent. Remember he said in John 3, 17, the Father didn't send me to condemn the world. And if you come into the presence of God and all you feel is condemnation and shame, it's because you have an incorrect intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. But if you have an intimate knowledge of the grace of God poured out for you on the cross, then the Bible says you come before him boldly. You come before the holiest place with boldness and confidence based on the work of Christ. And that means when you walk through these doors and the presence of God is in this place, you don't base whether you enter to his presence on the week that you had. I really struggled on Thursday, so I don't think God is going to let me into his presence this morning. Well, that says that you believe your, your goodness qualifies you for God's presence. The Bible says that Jesus ripping the veil on the cross qualifies you for the presence of God. Can you stand with me this morning? I've been away from my notes for a really long time. I'm just not going to go back to them. Uh, what I want to encourage you to do is enter into the presence of God based solely on the grace of God. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. That means this morning, as you connect with God and, and genuinely and authentically worship God, his presence fills this room. Now you can choose to focus on your failures or you can choose to focus on the grace of God and worship him all the more. And the best that I can do for you is tell you to choose the latter. Focus this morning on the presence of God. Maybe you need to ask the question, God, do, do I know you intellectually or relationally? And this morning you need to, need to say, God, I want to in, enter into relationship with you. Never done it before in my life. This morning I want to enter into relationship with you. Father, this morning I pray that just that happens. 
that we step into your presence by your grace. Let anyone in this place that, who only knows you in their minds and in their heads would know you in their hearts. So as we worship you, we invite your presence here this morning. And I pray that we experience you, Lord, in intimacy and closeness, God. Thank you, God, that we have a gospel to be excited about. I thank you that, that you've given us a message of good news. I pray your presence goes with us uh, from this place and with us this week and that we just experience you throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, church, if, if you want to be baptized, uh, just see me right now. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.